gonemobile.io. It's Gone Mobile. This episode is sponsored by Raygun. Discover, diagnose, and understand the root cause of error, crash, and performance issues in your apps in seconds. See how your apps are really performing and where they encounter problems with Raygun's incredible full-stack software intelligence platform. Raygun works with all major programming languages and platforms, including iOS, Android, and Xamarin, giving you full visibility over every issue affecting your users. I use Raygun in all of my own apps and highly recommend you give it a try. It only takes a few minutes and you're up and running in your app. Sign up for a free trial today over at raygun.com and make sure to thank them for sponsoring Gone Mobile. Welcome back to another episode of Gone Mobile. And man, does it feel good to finally say that again. How's it going, John? Oh, it's been a little while, hasn't it? Uh, you know, we've, we'd, we've had people asking us on Twitter and we've, we've kind of decided to finally, now's the time to come back now that everyone's kind of settling down. Um, so I know I've been busy, uh, but you've been a little bit busier. What, what's going on with you? So yeah, I mean, the, the hiatus, I'll, I'll take most of the, the blame for that. I, I had a little bit of a, a life change here in that I relocated from New York City to Los Angeles. So basically just the opposite side of the country and climate and everything. Um, so that, that had a little bit of an impact on my free time and uh, basically everything. But but now I'm starting to get settled. Uh, there's a little bit of an echo in here uh, that should get better. I'm sitting in an office that still has nothing on the walls and you know my life is still very much in boxes. But, but little by little, I'm starting to get back to normal here. Well, now I can't, you know, I don't have anyone to commiserate about the bad weather in the winter with. So I'm kind of disappointed about that. <laughs> yeah, you say that. And so I've been here yesterday, Mark, two weeks since, I, since we got out here. Um, and it's already rained twice in those two weeks, which is, I'm told, is not normal. So I think I broke California by getting here. Um, so like once once a week, we've gotten some rain and clouds and stuff. And I mean, this isn't the California that I've been sold in the movies, I'll tell you that. Well, talk, talk to me when the snow follows you over there too, all right? <laughs> well, that, I, that, then they would definitely blame me for that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but the, things are good. We're getting settled here, living in uh, in the Hollywood area. So, so obviously going to try and jumpstart my movie and my acting career while I'm out here as well. Oh, yeah. No better chance than that. Exactly. I mean, I'll have a, a star on the Hollywood walk in, in, in a few <laughs> weeks, I assume. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's been uh, you know you've been busy, I've been busy, but also the world has not stopped around us, unfortunately, either or or fortunately. It's always fun <laughs> to, to have new exciting things. Um, but so last week was a really busy week in in our world and in, in our listeners' world, I think. And we had uh, you know Microsoft's Build Conference, which uh, is kind of funny that I wasn't able to be there because I was actually at Google I/O's conference, which happened the same week. And so there's lots to talk about. Uh, and so I think we're going to talk about what all the new things are from each of those today and give our listeners a bit of a recap and maybe try and kind of learn something from each other about what happened in some of those conferences. So I don't know if you want to kick it off with some information about like what happened in Build. What was cool to you that happened in Build this last week? Yeah. And, and uh, you know, in a perfect world, I would have loved to have been there again. Last year, we were actually there and got to record some episodes and talk to some people uh, this week or this year with it coming about a week after the move. It didn't seem like the right time to to leave the new home and, and go somewhere else. Um, but but there was a lot of really awesome stuff. Um, and, I, and we definitely don't want to make this just like a, a show about reading off the release notes and things like that. You know, there's plenty of content out there for, for doing that sort of thing. And we'll link to it. Um, but yeah, we could definitely start to go through some of our, like what we consider highlights and, and favorite things. Um, and, and from as far as build is concerned, one of the big things that, that I really love that, that 
finally got announced in, in admittedly in a preview is the new uh, Hyper-V enabled Android emulator for Windows. So, I mean, if you're a, a Windows developer doing uh, any Android development or if you're an Android developer doing any of your development on Windows to, to word that correctly, um, you probably ran into this. And especially if you're doing anything like Docker or VMs and stuff on top of that, uh, or maybe HoloLens development, anything that needs Hyper-V, you know, that you had to keep flipping Hyper-V on and off if you wanted to use the, you know, accelerated emulators, or you can use the the crappy ARM emulators. But I mean, no one should really do that to themselves at, at this point, right? Yeah. And I think one of the neat things about that is like, if you're developing, like I often, you know, do most of my work on a Mac during the day, and then I'll fire up a Windows VM. I mean, I have a Windows box sitting here too, but sometimes it's just convenient to, to throw open the VM. And, um, you know, it's kind of challenging to do that nested virtualization uh, so th- I think this is going to be a lot easier. It gets you, you know, a bit, the ability to do kind of like the, you know, the emu- the Windows emulators. I mean, people aren't doing Windows Phone as much anymore, obviously, but to have that all really easy to do and and kind of just set up out of the box and work with Hyper-V is going to be pretty awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it really does enable that like side by side, you know, you have your API written in Docker, you have your Android app that you're developing there. You could run all that at the same time without having to reboot and flip a bunch of weird stuff. Um, but I think the other thing that that's awesome to point out about this is it's actually uh, it's not like a new emulator that that Xamarin built or Microsoft built. Um, you know, it's not the old Visual Studio Android emulator coming back. It's what they actually they actually made the changes to the Windows kernel and and shipped an update in the 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 April update to the Windows 10 uh, to support this sort of thing. So it means that you're actually using the out of the box Google Android emulator. So when that gets updated, you get all those updates, you get the SDK access right away, all that sort of thing. Um, so it really just enables this for, and not even just Xamarin developers at that point, it's really any Android developer on Windows can leverage the, this stuff and, and start using the, the accelerated Google emulators without having to jump through hoops. And I think this also means like one of the things that they announced at IO from the emulator side of things is that they've, I don't know exactly the changes they made, but they've done some things to optimize the emulator uh, images. So like when you close an emulator, you know, it, it caches the image and when it fires it back up. And I think they've had that support for a while, but they've optimized that to a great extent. And they kind of demoed opening a, a, a saved state emulator. And it was like, you know, literally a couple of seconds that it took to open up. So I think, you know, that combined with the Hyper-V is going to make for a really great story for, for Android dev- developers on Windows. And like you said, because it's not specific to Xamarin, that's going to be it's just good for everyone. Yeah. And, and it's funny, if I think back to, I mean, I guess it's been like seven years or so since I got into Android development. And I remember having to, you know, giving talks on Android development, you'd have to start the emulator like two, <laughs> like an hour or two before the talk would start. And it was like, you know, the, you know, even now it feels weird to, to say things like, oh, well, now you get to use Google's emulator because it's really fast. Yeah. <laughs> but, but the reality, you know, they finally kind of caught up on that and they, they have a good offering there. And, being able to to leverage the the same tech on the 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 native sort of Google Android side and the Xamarin side, uh, I think that's only going to have good impact on uh, developer lives. Yeah, absolutely. So, what's what's the next cool thing that you found at, at Build? <laughs> yeah, the, the, there was a lot of cool things. And so, inform me. Yeah. So so let's jump to to Xamarin Forms three, and there, there's a bunch of cool stuff in there. Um, and I'll start with one of my my sort of favorite ones to call out, which uh, every time I bring it up on Twitter, I just get flamed in, in response, and it's a whole lot of fun. Um, and 
it's and that's a CSS being added into to Xamarin forms, and and this seems to have really just have caused this big schism in developers who, you know, there there's some like me who are like, oh, this is this is really cool, and there's some that are like, get that web crap out of my my yeah. my mobile applications. Um, so so for my sort of two cents about this whole thing, like for one, I've always historically had a lot of problems with you know. I, styling and XAML and all that side of things just never totally clicked with me. I'm admittedly, you know, a web developer on top of, of mobile stuff. I do a lot of web stuff. Um, I think CSS actually gets pretty maligned um, unfairly due to like browser problems that aren't really language problems. Um, but it, but when used right, it can be a really nice expressive way to to sort of you know really just express styles and organize them. And especially if you layer in something like SAS that lets you use preprocessors and functions and things like that. Um, it's really just a, a nice sort of concise way to, to style an application instead of having to spread it out around a whole bunch of different places. Uh, so Mir is, is a pretty cool addition that, you know, and you don't have to use it. Um, that, I think that was the other sort of thing where people were like, well, do we have to do everything this way now? And, and you don't. Um, but, you know, I, I did some playing around with it and it, it it really does. Like it gives you a few lines of CSS can, you know, really quickly just skin an app and make it look like a, a real thing, which is pretty cool. Well, and I remember, you know, probably a couple of years ago now where we had like different uh, vendors creating libraries to kind of do this same thing on Android and iOS. And they're probably still out there to some extent. Um, it was really powerful when you actually got to use it in your app, especially if you, like you said, if you've come from a web background and you understand a little bit of CSS and, and what it can do. And, you know, obviously it's going to be a subset of, of what CS can do on CSS can do on the web, but um, you know, I think for a lot of apps and, and probably for some of the stuff that you guys do, and a lot of different like you know brands and everything, to have the power of, of sort of really easily declaring style uh, in a language that's meant for that, because you know, really, XAML I don't feel like was ever totally meant for declaring all of your style in in that code in that declarative format. Um, so I think it's, you know, like you said, it's optional. So <laughs> if you want to use it, use it great. I mean, or if you want to mix and match and the fact that they're doing already some optimization around being able to use that and not, it not being some like really heavily interpreted thing and causing significant slowdowns, like that's, that's kind of a win-win. I mean, meet developers where they're at and if you, if you like it, great. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, going back to what you said before about, you know, there are other products out there going back. If I think back, I think it was probably like five, six years ago now. Um, there was a product called Pixate that that I used to personally really love, and they they had started they they were on iOS and they got it was okay on iOS. They were starting to get the hang of it. They released their Android version, uh, then Google bought them and just squashed the whole product. But for a while, it was yeah. a, it was a pretty cool product where you could it it's exactly that you use CSS and style sheets to to style your apps, and um, it it works pretty well. Now, one of the other things that they talked about with forms, and I, I admittedly am definitely not a WPF XAML background developer. I do, you know, I do some some work inside or using Xamarin Forms XAML, and I love it. Um, but one of the things I've never really understood is the the whole Visual State Manager thing. Um, maybe you do a little bit better than <laughs> I do. Like, do do you know what exactly that announcement was about as part of Forms? Uh, at a high level, like I, I'll, I'll also you know put in throw in the same caveat of like I'm I'm not a. a you know, long-time XAML developer. I haven't done a ton of like WPF stuff or old-school Silverlight stuff, that sort of thing. Um, 
I mean, I know the, the high level sort of idea is that you could sort of organize these different sets of visual states. And, and I think one of the basic examples that they give uh, that sort of outlines it pretty well is, well, imagine that you have a, a set of states in a UI for portrait versus landscape or something, and you can kind of organize those together. And then, you know, you just kind of have something that switches that visual state and then the UI will kind of morph into, into that new state and just becomes a, a way to sort of group together these sort of visual states and, and kind of transition between them instead of having to spread it out with, you know, either tons of if statements and weird bindings yeah. and that kind of thing. Right. Like a bunch that, of weird. That kind converters. of reminds me like how Android does its different resources. Like you can have resources for certain visual states in a way. So that's, that's kind of neat then that we have a way to, to, to do that across platforms instead of having to, like you said, write a whole bunch of if, if else code and all that mess of things. Yeah. Or crazy value converters and stuff. And I know like for the, for the folks that, that have been doing XAML for a long time, that was always one of the most common feature requests that I heard or, or heard people asking about if it was supported, you know, do you support visual state management and, and all that stuff. So it's pretty cool that they, they were able to finally roll that into like right in the box. So one of the other things that I'm really excited about, and I haven't actually had a chance to play with it, which is is kind of sad because I've seen this internally coming for some time now. So I probably <laughs> should have, you know, gone and, and done some work with it. But um, is the whole this whole flex layout uh, layout control essentially? So you know, one of the things I know that the, te the team's been working hard at is is sort of trying to collapse nested layouts and and try and do some of that for you automatically. Well, you know, now here's this control that sort of the the way that you use it is um, conducive to doing that in the in the first place and trying to like not have too many nested controls. So um, that's another one that that kind of piqued my curiosity and I'll definitely be checking that one out. Yeah, and it's and uh, you know sort of following on the the CSS thing, it's another one that is inspired by the web. And yeah, it, it's sort yeah. of um, and the web has a lot of the same sorts of problems where uh, you know you, you could. It's you know classically referred to as like divitis or something, right? You just have like nested, you know, it's the it's the classic box model where you just end up with these, you know, a div and a div and a div and a div, and and you know it's like divs all the way down, and then you use like weird CSS hacks to move boxes over here and you know make things flow to the next line, and it really doesn't scale super well. So I mean, on the website they developed uh, you know the flex layout system. Uh, which gives you a lot more control and a lot more, you know, nuance to how you want to lay things out. And it, it plays a whole lot better into on the website, into responsive websites where you want to have mm -hmm. one website that can scale really well to either a phone or a full size, you know, 5k iMac or whatever it is that you have. Um, and really that's the same sort of problem that you want to solve in Xamarin forms, right? Cause you, you're writing sort of one set of, of, projects and UIs for, you know, a phone, a, a tablet, a, a UWP app for Windows, a Mac OS app for Mac. Um, so it's pretty awesome to, to start being able to get that sort of layout flexibility, uh, not to just use flex in the, the description there, um, but to be able to get that within Xamarin forms. Uh, on top of the, the other side that you mentioned of just being able to really limit the amount of nesting that you have, which is a huge sorts of performance problems um, in any UI platform, really. And so I think, um, you know, that's, those are the major things with forms. I mean, forms has been kind of growing and, and iterating and, and really getting to a really good place, I think, lately. Um, but, you know, forms is, is one component of all the Xamarin world and all the build world. I know there was some updates to Visual Studio as well. Do you, do you want to go through some of those? Yeah, I, I know Visual Studio, like 2017, got some pretty nice updates. Um, you know, some of them are just sort of checking boxes and making little improvements. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's really there's some nice new XAML IntelliSense stuff, which was 
uh, something that was just kind of lacking um, historically. So starting to fill in those gaps uh, makes it a whole lot nicer to actually develop these things uh, without having to compile your app or run your app and find out that you have weird XAML problems. Um, there's a lot, there's some new project templates. So I know you can do like file new and projects that have a fly out nav or, you know, that kind of updates to, I guess the, the default projects that were in there have been the same ones for a pretty long time now. Yeah. Um, so, so there's some, some new projects in there to give you a little bit of a jump start and some good patterns on common things that you'll probably want to do. Um, I think one of the big ones is, uh, you know, bringing in some of the iOS, uh, provisioning stuff that had been added in Visual Studio for Mac, um, you know, historically previously built on Fastlane and all that stuff, uh, mm -hmm. working that into to Visual Studio for Windows, which which is pretty awesome. I mean, anyone who's done even the tiniest bit of iOS development knows how terrible it is to manage certificates and dev oh, profiles awful. and all that stuff. Um, so being able to just hit a couple buttons and have it provision, have it do all your stuff right through VS and not have to lose a step is, is amazing. Um, and I think the other the other big thing uh, then on the Android side is you know uh, Microsoft says Amarin uh, you've shipped or you guys shipped uh, your own Android SDK manager now so kind of like you know not just shelling out to the the Android tools that still look the same way that and in some ways it's good because I mean I learned what those tools did seven years yeah, ago when I started yeah. Android development and they haven't changed but they weren't good then and they're definitely not good now. <laughs> Well, and that, that's one of, you know, that kind of coincides again nicely with I.O. Um, so one of the things that Google has recently announced that you may or may not be aware of our listeners is that um, to submit your apps to the store eventually or later this year, you're going to have to actually submit them, compile against, I think it's API, API 26 now, which is um, what Android 8.0, I believe. And so they're they're kind of going forward with this idea. You don't have to, you know, that doesn't have to be the minimum version that you you actually run on, um, but you will have to compile against the newer versions of their SDKs more frequently. So they're starting to enforce that, and that was always a, a problem for, you know, the Xamarin Android developers who didn't really know that they could go into the SDK manager and update things, and then maybe you know they tried to install a NuGet package that required a certain android sdk to be installed and then it didn't install and it you know it was it was a little bit of a headache and and trying to figure out how that worked so you know the the automatic updating will hopefully make that story a little bit easier and it, it's kind of meshing with with what google's trying to push developers into and that's always it's kind of what apple does already right you always compile against the latest sdk version um, so that's that's kind of heading in that direction yeah, and it really does ease the pain of you know all these different tools that you have to install and manage versions of. Um, and similarly, and I don't think this this wasn't announced specifically a build that had come out a little bit prior to that, but it's definitely worth bringing up again. Is on the the Mac side and the iOS side, there's you know been a lot of improvements made in automatic Mac Mac provisioning too for your Mac build agents, so that you don't you'll still have to install Xcode yourself. Like that's the one that it can't do. But beyond that. Right. Um, but it, what it can still do in Xcode is tell you whether you've uh, accepted the... Because you always have to launch Xcode once uh, after yes. every time that you update it and check that box and sit like, okay, that you accepted the license yeah. or whatever that is. Um, and it's, it's it's one. it would be one thing if it was just that initial install. That doesn't matter. But it's any time that you run an update. Like yeah, I never exactly. remember to do that. Um, and then everything... <laughs> and it breaks in weird ways. And um, it's awesome that they, they can just detect that now. Um, but it'll also set up, you know, the mono version that you need, Xamarin iOS builds that you need uh, without installing all of Visual Studio for Mac, which is also pretty cool. So just the, the kind of build stuff. Um, so the, there's a lot of good stuff happening in terms of just 
developer tools and smarter version management and more automation there because historically that's just been a nightmare to do all like on your own. Yeah. Oh, and talking about different developer tools, have you had a chance to play with the, I know we released the, the Xamarin Android device manager as well. Um, so Google kind of moved, you know, that whole device manager, the old version of that tool into, um, into Android Studio and, and kind of said, well, if you want to do virtual, you know, manage your emulators, you have to go into Android Studio. So obviously that wasn't uh, a great experience for our users. So we, we created this tool and I've, I've had a chance to play with it as it's been uh, kind of developed and, and I've been really enjoying it. I'm curious to see your thoughts on it. Yeah, I, I've, the, the little bit of experience I've had with it so far is, has been positive. Um, it, again, it wasn't hard to to beat what was already there or that, that yeah. prior standalone one, not the one necessarily inside of Android Studio, but that standalone one hasn't been changed or updated in as long as I've been an Android developer. Um, but, but mostly I just like that all these things are moving towards a more sort of cohesive developer experience. So the tools feel like they belong together. Things kind of behave or starting to behave in a way that feels like they belong together and, and understand each other um, instead of, you know, it, it's always felt like everything was fighting you at one another historically. Yeah, definitely. And and I know um, with it, along with the other tools, I mean, we talked a bit about the Visual Studio updates and those are, you know, Visual Studio Windows uh, in, in some cases and not always Mac. And I know there were some specific things done to Mac. And one of the ones I'm most excited about, I think, and, you know, we can lead this into sort of another thing that's that's been released. Um, working on this new project uh, on our team, we decided to kind of make Visual Studio Windows the main target uh, as far as what we would develop in because we had to develop UWP support for the, the library we we're working on and everything. And um, so trying to get everyone on the same page with coding rules, editor config is like the new cool <laughs> thing to use, right? Uh, and so finally, we have that for Visual Studio Mac as well, which I'm I'm really excited about. It's some, one of those small things that just you know makes working on a project uh, so much easier. Yeah. Yeah. And editor config is for anyone who doesn't know is, is really just a, it's a dot file that you add to, to your project or your, um, your repository or wherever you want to put it. Uh, and it'll, you can enforce, um, you know, code styling rules and, and different sort of linting type rules in your projects. And this is something that's not even specific to, it's not a Microsoft technology. It's not a .NET thing. Um, right. It's, it, it came out of other communities and just got more widely adopted. So Microsoft created, you know, the, the C sharp, kind of uh, editor config support and that sort of thing. Um, but it's it's another cool example of, of Microsoft kind of just adopting and building on top of what the other communities are doing instead of just, uh, you know, just saying, well, we'll create the new style cop or something. But you could basically think of it as like the new modern style cop in a lot of ways. Yeah. And it's, you know, from my experience, it integrates pretty well with, with uh, Visual Studio 2 in, in terms of like giving you errors and warnings and whatnot, depending how it's configured and and telling you, you know, that you need to fix something to adhere to the code rules. So it's pretty good. Exactly. So, so I'm going to hazard a guess that, that the project that you were alluding to there a little bit is some of the, the Xamarin essential stuff that got announced. Yeah. So, you know, that one's kind of a, it's been a fun project. Um, it, it's not anything earth shattering or, or terribly groundbreaking, but we basically saw a lot of customers coming by and, you know, especially new customers coming in and, and wanting to know how to do things that should be simple to do and that work on all the different platforms, but maybe, you know, we don't have a nice single way to do it. So take, for instance, something like geolocation. Um, you know, there's a great plugin out there. And actually, I think James wrote that plugin, James Montemagno, who has also uh, been working on this this project. So we've been getting to work together on it. And um, 
we've got all these plugins out there, but that's not really the most discoverable way for users to figure out how to do these cross-platform things. Um, and we wanted a, a really official Microsoft-supported library for how to do a lot of these common things. So everything from you know, like geolocation to your clipboard to opening uh, URLs in like SF Safari uh, view controller or custom Chrome tabs and all of these different APIs that just uh, make sense to go together and be accessible from from your shared code. So it's one of these rare opportunities that we got where, you know, as a developer, you can sit down and basically write something over again and try and fix all the mistakes that you know you made the first time around. Um, so James, like I said, he wrote a lot of the original plugins that are, are kind of a part of this or that we've, we've borrowed concepts from. Um, but it's also, you know, looking in the community to see what else is popular out there. We got to pull all these bits in. So it's a little bit stressful in the sense that, you know, you have a chance to do it right. So now you have to do it right. Otherwise, you've failed two times in a row. But it, <laughs> yeah, it's it's a, it's an interesting project and it's going to keep growing and we'll add more functionality to it and more features to it as time goes on. Yeah, and it was it was a fun example of sort of just the the new style that some of these things get developed in. I mean, technically, the, I think the first public real announcement was at, at, at Build, I think, or, or shortly before that. Um, but it's been technically developed out, of, out <laughs> yeah. in the open. It's a public repository on GitHub. It's, it's just one of those things where if, if you're watching the commits or watching repositories get added to the um, the organization over there, like it, it was all just happening right there, which is kind of yeah, funny. Yeah, it was it was a, an odd thing to kind of figure out and coordinate. Like, to should we release the NuGet package? You know, right the morning of that somebody's demoing. It's like, well, no, the code's all out there already. I mean, it's no secret. So, yeah. But but what it is basically is I mean it's it's sort of an evolution of the old plugin not the old plugin system but the the, the plugin ecosystem right like so yeah. standardizing centralizing some stuff like I know you know just anecdotally from you know having run user groups and talked to to different people in the community there's always a lot of questions around like well there's all these these obvious things that I want to do I want to pull an accelerometer or show a map or like you know, some of the stuff that you were mentioning. Um, and it can be pretty confusing for someone kind of brand new to the platform to figure out where to go for some of these things. So, yeah, um, you know, and, and, when, it, and when you kind of link into like even our own documentation for how to do some of those things, it doesn't point a user at a plugin that can make it easier for them. It shows you, how, OK, here's the code to do it on iOS. Here's the code to do it on Android. And then you kind of have to gather that you need to make your own dependency service and all that mess and how to you know abstract that away from the, the platform specific stuff yourself. So. Yeah, so so it'll be pretty cool. I'm I'm glad to see that's out. I'm, I'm interested to see uh, you know what sort of adoption it gets and um, just kind of where it goes. You know how how it kind of interplays with any sort of community plugins and and that sort of thing. I, I imagine there's going to be a little bit of a um, you know dichotomy there of you know the the you know Microsoft owned uh, plugins in, inside of Essentials and then community ones on top of that. But it should be it should be interesting. Yeah, and, that, and that's sort of something that we're figuring out as we go along too. And, and the idea kind of being, let's let's hit you know eighty percent of the use cases and the users where they're at, and then plugins still definitely have their place. So, uh, yeah, it'll it'll be fun going forward for sure. Maybe we'll yeah. do an episode on that at some point and have James on or something like that. I'm sure we'll have to. It's been a couple of years since he's been on the show anyway, so <laughs> yeah. so we're due for for him to come talk about something. I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think that covered a lot of the highlights. I mean, there's the usual like list of bullet points of you know apps got smaller, faster, reduced memory. Um, not to downplay that stuff, it, it's amazing, but I we don't have to, to really <laughs> dig into to some of that too. 
um, you know, good new stuff in Visual Studio. You mentioned editor config. There's like better JavaScript and TypeScript support, which is really cool. Um, better Azure function support, which I personally love as we covered on that uh, Alexa show. Um, <laughs> yeah. But but I think what we should do is, is really dive into the IO side of things because um, I've been busy unpacking a house and I... I caught some of the announcements, but but I need you to teach me about what everything I missed. <laughs> well, I mean, hopefully you caught the sort of controversial stuff already, right? There's, you know, it's like every year that we we get farther into the whole artificial intelligence thing. There's just more and more stuff that's kind of blurring the lines of like what people find uh, acceptable and what they don't. I mean, did you hear that the duplex call? I did. Between I, the saw, I yeah. saw that demo. Yeah. So you know, it was pretty interesting being there and kind of sitting there and. and and hearing that for the first time and seeing everyone around you kind of react to it and be like, um, like, whoa. Um, and, you know, my personal first reaction was like, oh, that's great. I don't have to call all these places now. <laughs> um, but, you know, I can definitely see where, where people are, are a little bit um, maybe more reserved about how that's going to look going forward. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. I I had a similar first reaction of like, oh, that's amazing because I hate making phone calls. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like I just hate picking up the phone and having to call and do anything like that. So well, they and, could, and they're kind of targeting that use case that you know is the most annoying to me, which is those little places that don't have they're not they don't take online reservations, they don't have a website with good updated hours and all these different things that you're like, I have no choice but to call these people, and yeah. I don't want to do that. Uh, but yeah, I, I definitely, it, it seems like the backlash has already caused Google to be like, Hey, you know, you know, this is just a, a prototype, yada, yada, yada. But it's either way, it's, it's impressive tech if it works anywhere near as close as they're claiming it works. Yeah. So, I mean, I, you know, AI was sort of, uh, one of the forefront themes in the conference and, and as it was with build too, I mean, we didn't touch a whole lot about that side of it, but that's, that's sort of a really big thing in the industry, obviously. And, um, you know, one of the funny things was uh, they also talked about uh, Gmail getting the capability of basically trying to complete emails for you and everything. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, the joke going forward was like, well, now we don't have to, I don't have to email my family. I don't have to call my family. Google will just do it all for me. <laughs> so exciting times with that. But, you know, that's that's more of the um, the fun kind of user side of things. But like digging into the actual developer story there, um, you know, one of, some interesting things I thought were, we didn't see anything talked about with like Fuchsia, uh, their new operating system that they're working on. They really seem to be, I wouldn't say downplaying, but they they, they really seem to be trying to, to make sure users understand that like Android and Java and Kotlin are still, you know, the way to do things. And like, you know, because Flutter obviously has been uh, creeping up in the foreground a little bit in the Google side of things. And they definitely had sessions there on it, but um it wasn't kind of marketed at anywhere close to the be all end all like way to do cross platforms app app. So I thought that was kind of an interesting thing to see at the conference. I don't know. Have you looked at Flutter at all yourself? Uh, I have a little bit. Um, yeah, I, it, it's really cool. I and mean, it's, it's interesting to see just how much it's taken over the mind share of, of a lot of yeah. people and rethinking uh, a lot of just even on the Xamarin side, it, it's resulted in a you know, a flood of, of interesting blog posts and projects from people and just just rethinking like how you structure apps and, and how you be productive on these platforms. Uh, so I, we definitely need to do like a full dedicated Flutter episode. Uh, but it but it seems it's for for certain types of applications, especially, it seems like a really uh, interesting way to, to go about things. Yeah. And, and so I'm in, in sort of that same theme of them, you know, not 
making Flutter the the center of attention at the conference. They they've really done a lot of work around the area, and this one's going to hurt me the most because I I still do some work with the support libraries and uh, play services and everything. So they re rebranded essentially all of the Android support libraries as Jetpacks, and the, you know Jetpacks <laughs> is kind of this marketing term uh, in front of it. And and what they've really done is they've basically renamed everything to being the, you know, the Java package name of Android X. And I, I think the the symbolism behind that is is a lot to do with kind of calling that as part of the core Android now and and not this support library thing that originally started as just like this extra thing that you use to help target older versions of Android and has really since evolved into like you need to use these support libraries if you're making an app. It's just you, there's no way around it really. I mean I know somebody, uh, I remember talking to someone recently who who wanted to make an app and they were fine with it only running on like API level 25 or something like that. So they're like, I want to do it without support libraries, without app compat, without any of that stuff. And like the moment that they tried to say, pull in another third party library or something like that, they they got into this trap of like, well, that one depends on, yeah. you know, support libraries. And eventually they gave up and they're like, no, I, you have to use support libraries. It's, you know, it's not a requirement, but it's a requirement. Um, so they're they're sort of focusing more effort on making this Android X kind of the place for for where you go to consume APIs. And one of the interesting things with that is the Fragment API, the the Android.app.fragment is now deprecated as of Android P, which is interesting. But you know it's not really gone. It's actually just in support libraries now or in Android X now. So basically, they're moving towards this pattern of like. We're going to make all of the, obviously we have to implement these APIs on the core system, um, but we're going to make the abstraction of of the different Android versions of those APIs the place that you actually go to do work and the only place that you can go to do work. So, right. um, so I, I don't so know, how, you guys probably, I'm sure use fragments and your stuff like crazy already. So it's it's really a simple switch for for developers, but it's kind of that mindset of of where it's going. Yeah, I was going to say, it kind of seems like it's largely a, a semantic and naming thing yeah. almost, right? Like it's not, support implies that it, you know, it's a it's a backfill, it's a polyfill for for some sort of functionality. But but in reality, like you said, I'm using Fragment as the example. Like even if you didn't need any of the support functionality for Fragments, like I, the, the prevailing advice is always just use them because they actually, I, I found them tend to work better than the regular fragments, even on newer platforms. Yeah. Um, so, so I, I do like uh, conceptually the idea of getting rid of that dichotomy of you know support versus native, and just having one that we're. I assume it means that they're just dealing with all the hard work of supporting that across all the different versions and stuff. Yeah, exactly, and that, and that's what it boils down to, and that's why I say too, like they're they're kind of removing or. I, I'm sure the APIs are still there for Fragment, but now they're, say, like marked private or internal or something like that, right? So that only they can call them from the support library. Uh, and that was that was kind of another theme. They, they've they talked about um, hiding uh, or enforcing the actual usage or not non-usage of APIs marked as private. You know, Apple's done that for some time now, right? If you try and submit an app to the store and you use an internal or private API, nope, no can do. So Google's starting to do some of that now as well, which is is kind of an interesting approach. I mean, that kind of bo- goes along with their improvements that they're making to security a- across the board. I mean, they announced some things about that. Um, TLS is going to be required now for your HTTP connections by default. Same same idea that Apple did, yep. you know, a couple years ago. Um, they've got a new concept for their hardware encryption now called Strongbox, which is essentially 
uh, it's kind of like the, the, you know, the trusted execution environment, hardware stuff, except now they've, they've kind of said, well, we've added a, a CPU and memory and all the different things into like this private hardware execution environment so that it's not even, you're not even crossing boundaries of, of memory or anything anymore. It's all kind of encapsulated in this secure area. So it looks like they're really um, working at security as a, a big theme as well with Android. That makes a lot of sense. And it, it, given where they started, they they sort of, you know, they, they started on the opposite end of the spectrum from Apple there. And, and it seems like little by little they're they're slowly realizing that they need to, to close some of those gaps and close some of the flexibility that they had historically because... And there, there, you know, there are benefits from it too, because, you know, historically there, there, when there were questions of, you know, certain types of apps that, that I wanted to build or that we wanted to build at, at work, you know, there's, you know, you could do anything that you need to do technically on Android because, you know, there's, there's no like sandbox, there's no real limitations. You can have background processes. You could do whatever the hell you want. Right. Yeah. Um, but that has certain downsides for consumer apps for sure. Yeah, and I mean it's interesting timing with all of like the Facebook, um, you know, privacy stuff going on too. Where you know, one of the things that that comes along with this is, you know, in Android P, if uh, an app tries to use your like microphone or camera or anything in the background like that, you'll get a big like notification saying, "Hey, this app is uh, it's listening to you right now." Um, so you know, <laughs> that's a definitely, good thing. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's one of the reasons uh, you know I, I switched back to iOS as a user not too long ago, and it's that's this is one of the you know, getting, I guess I'm getting old or something, but and curmudgeon about <laughs> security again. But, then, you know, that was kind of one of the, the drivers for me there. So it's nice to see that they're addressing this. Nice. So what else we got? Um, so back, you know, to Android X a little bit. One of the, the big things, uh, one of the big themes in the conference was around these architecture components, they're calling them. So architecture components are sort of this pillar underneath jetpacks, um, so you have architecture components, jetpacks, which in reality, you know, some of these have existed already for a little while. Um, so last year they, they started talking about going towards the pattern that most Xamarin developers are already familiar with, which is the MVVM pattern. And so they've got these architecture components that try to facilitate this, um, you know, from, from a Xamarin developer perspective, that's it, not that interesting because we've had MVVM and data binding and, um, all of these different interesting things. And I, you know, certainly as a, a .NET developer, there's probably not any value in you trying to use the Android-specific ones, especially if you're trying to write, write cross-platform apps. Um, but another piece of this is the navigation controller. And this one is going to be interesting to all developers. Uh, so basically, you know, Google has now declared every app should be a single activity application, uh, which is, or, or, you know, within reason, multiple activities, but generally, use a single activity um, and have your fragments be what you navigate between, which a lot of apps have done already. And Xamarin Forms pretty much takes this approach in your app for you. Uh, but one of the things that this navigation controller does is make that whole experience a bit easier to consume as a developer. So you can, uh, you know, you can actually, it manages like your back stack for you and everything like that. Um, takes away the, the need to have to deal with like fragment uh, manager transactions and all of those pesky things that come with fragments. So they're they're moving to an approach that resembles iOS a little bit more, it seems like, but that's, I think, a, a very welcome change for a lot of de developers. Um, it's one of the interesting things that they talked about anyway. 
Yeah, and I think that one makes a lot of sense. It it almost just sort of seems like a recognition of what everyone is doing in their apps anyway. Like yeah. like I know like for us, like for, for the apps that we built, we needed so much control over how the navigation worked and the flows and controlling the back stack and stuff that the only option was a single activity and then getting really creative with the fragment manager, which was sometimes easier said than done, especially when you had the regular fragment manager and then the support fragment manager. Yeah, yes. They both behave slightly differently. Um <laughs> So, so, you know, I'll have to take a look at the, I haven't seen the, the APIs that are in this formal navigation controller, but I, I think it makes a lot of sense just for the reason, like I said, like it, it seems to be just a, a recognition that this is what everyone seem, is kind of doing on their own anyway. So there should be something baked in to, to just do it properly. Yeah, I think they're, they're finally realizing that, you know, they started with this really um, open sort of system and way of doing things and very unopinionated in how you got them done. And now I, I think it, even in one of the sessions, they, they said as, as much as, you know, we're being more opinionated now and what we, th how you, we think based on what developers have been doing, what's been successful for other developers, you know, how they think you should actually structure an app. So um, that's where a lot of these architecture components are coming from. Um, and, you know, that's something that, you know, we'll figure out, we'll continue to, to see what the best, uh, integration is with Xamarin and how we approach that. So uh, between that and um, they talked about material design too a little bit. Uh, the idea being that material design should be more customizable. They want to enable branding a little bit uh, more easily for for different um, developers and different companies that make apps. And you know, for example, you can now have like a diamond shaped floating action button if you want, or or one with like three rounded corners and one you know slanty corner. So colors and all that, that sort of thing. That's, that was a, a big part of it too. Um, trying to think what, what else was the, the sort of most interesting part of it. I, I thought one cool thing that they, they did, and this is totally switching gears, uh, is to do with, uh, AR core. So, you know, it's one that hasn't really been, the AR stuff hasn't really been talked about as much lately. Like Apple came out with their AR kit, right. And Google had AR core, uh, which was like their competition to that, but it only worked on Android. And of course, iOS only, AR kit only works on on Apple, uh, right. but a, the next version of AR Core actually works on both platforms. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what that API looks like in a bit more detail, and if that enables, you know, maybe some Xamarin developers to make apps with AR that they only have to write code once for. Yeah, I'll be curious to see how that plays out in the Xamarin world against something like TensorFlow or some of these other ones that are kind of cross-platform from the start. Yeah, and and so yeah, hand in hand with that is the the machine learning kit that they have, which is also cross platform, and um, that seems like they're really making a, a run at uh, enabling developers to hit more platforms than just Android, which is is kind of interesting as well. Did they actually use Kit in the name too? A ML, yeah, ML Kit is the name. Which, I, yeah, I, I did a double take sitting there. I'm like, huh? Did where? Where am I? WDC? <laughs> what? Who? Who is this? Yeah, <laughs> that's that. That seems like an interesting and probably deliberate choice. <laughs> yeah. So you know, one of the other the few things I th I think I can talk about yet that I remember is um, this concept of app bundles, and I think. I think Apple probably does something like this already. I'm not too familiar with their process, but one of the the pain points as a developer on Android has always been if I don't want to like make one big APK file, one big app package file that has like all of my different app architectures, um, all of my different display densities, and all that. It was kind of a pain to manage that because you could do you could split up APKs differently, 
uh, and build them with different stuff depending how you want to do that. But you had to manage it yourself. So they're introducing this concept of app bundles, which basically does the work for you. Um, it's a new version of APK format, and it just gives you, you know, the ability to to upload one big package, and then they they'll go ahead on their side on the Play Store, and they'll split that up for you. So that kind of, you know, for Xamarin apps too, that's that's a big win because Xamarin apps ship for every architecture, you know, a version of uh, libmono essentially, which is uh, probably about three megs now, I think, in size. So if, if they're able to split that up for us on the server by architecture, and then they can also split up apps by display density. So, you know, your resources only uh, come down for the given display density that the user has installing the app. And then uh, language in locale as well, which is kind of interesting. So it looks like we're going to have a really easy way to reduce app download sizes without any additional work on, on the developer's part. Nice. And does that do you have to opt into that, or is it just something that'll happen for every app? And yeah, it, it, it'll happen. I can't for think every of a app. reason why you wouldn't want to do that, right? Yeah, and I think that's essentially it. It'll, it'll happen for every app. Um, you have to upload the new format. Like they'll still support the old APK format for the foreseeable future, but as soon as you start building in this new app bundle format, they then know how to split that up on the server. And one of the one of the interesting things I thought was like they even go so far as to. Um, so you think of it as different components. So if I have a device that is ARM, I'll get you know the ARM APK downloaded when I install the app, and then if I'm if my device is XXHDPI display density, I'll get that APK, and then if my device is English US, I'll get that APK. But then I might also have you know uh, Canadian French on my device as well. I I don't, but you know I could. I'm Canadian. Um, <laughs> I'll also get that APK. So they're really doing it in a, in a nicely compartmentalized, intelligent way to kind of just give you the bits and pieces that you need. That's pretty cool. I like that it's automatic and just is something that will get taken care of yeah. by the, the server. Um, I assume when you upload then, you, you'll get stats. Do, do they tell you how they break apart your app? Like if you if you go log into the developer console, do you see what the, what they've done and what the sizes are in the end? Yeah, I think they they did show off a, a console page that let you basically know just that, like what the different pieces were size wise, at, at least at, at least for like architecture and stuff, I believe. Um, so you should have some insight as to what that looks like. Cool. So we have we have app bundles, we have some some ML stuff and AR stuff that seems really cool. Um, yeah, I think like the the one other thing uh, of note that I took away from it was they're also introducing this concept of uh, app slices and app actions. Um, so, you know, for, you can think of an app action as basically like a, a shortcut to like some kind of quick action. Um, so, uh, I'm trying to think like in an app that you, for you guys, maybe you would have an app that, um, has a quick action of like order food from my favorite restaurant or something like that, or order my favorite meal from this restaurant. And so in your launcher, they're going to do some integration with this where you can, as the developer specify the different um, actions, and they'll basically surface in the in the launcher and in different places in the OS where they kind of make sense. Uh, so it's it's just another way of kind of like getting users to engage with your app a little bit more easily, or like helping them see the the use cases of your app on a normal basis, which is kind of neat. Um, and then slices are are sort of similar where. There are these like sets of predefined UIs that you can opt in, into with your app that will then appear in things like the the Google search results. So if I'm typing on my phone um, pizza, uh, I might get a, a slice that shows up. <laughs> pizza slice, get it. <laughs> 
might get a slice that shows up that like has you know um the the pizza place and like uh, a simple form for ordering you know a, a one pizza or something like that um, it's all like these predefined sets of ui so there's not a ton of flexibility there but uh you know it, it could be pretty interesting to integrate your app into these different places that just again help users engage with your app and open it up again basically and then are, are slices something that require the app to already exist on on the device or is this one of those things that they've they've talked about in the past where you can have sort of you know non-downloaded app functionality yeah i'm not i'm not too sure about that actually if that's part of instant apps or not they weren't really clear on that i would be surprised if it wasn't in the future at least if that wasn't kind of something that you started seeing slices show up on the web you know um, I, I could imagine that's partly why they would kind of restrict the the UI view to be kind of like a preset and and some kind of declarative uh, UI markup that's a simple set and not everything that could be possible to do in an app. Like it's not right. like a remote view where you get to like customize everything. It's like here's here's what's it's going to look like, and that's what they show. And this is something that you bundle inside of your app, then too. Yeah. Okay. That's that's pretty cool. I'll have to to check that out. Yeah, I think I think that covers most of the the IO coolness. And you know, it wasn't like uh, a really huge year in terms of uh, releases. And I, I feel like build kind of was like that too in a lot of ways. Kind of like this incremental making everything a little bit better and some kind of fun new stuff. Um, but that's that's okay. I think I think as developers, it's good to have a break <laughs> from year to year and not have to do something totally new and different. I mean, as it is, you have to update bindings to to change names and packages <laughs> well, yes. and all this, right? That, yeah. That's like a year of work right there. Yeah, the, we got we've got enough. We got enough to keep us busy. That's for sure. But yeah, I agree. And it's a lot of incremental stuff. A lot of just this continued focus on uh, you know AR and ML and all that stuff. So it's it's a lot of really cool things coming out of that. But yeah, I I think and this is a theme that you see across like a lot of conferences and product announcements and stuff. Like there are fewer and fewer sort of like bombshell announcements. Yeah. Um, which, which is good and bad. I mean, it's, it's bad from the perspective of like, you know, it's fun to get excited about something crazy and new, yeah. but it's good in that, you know, it's this sort of maturity that, that things are reaching to. Yeah. It's, it's more sustainable not to be wowed completely every time or blown out of your seat. Right. Yeah. It was, it was good to, to, to hear about everything that I missed while I've been just sitting here unpacking and trying not to, to live in a completely empty house. Um, you know, like, I definitely we'll we'll have a bunch of stuff in the show notes. I think there's no shortage of of stuff to to watch and and read through and and catch and start downloading and playing with and stuff. And we only kind of scratched the surface on oh, yeah, this, but definitely. Um, and and you know, I'll apologize again to everyone who had to wait a few months for for an episode. I appreciate you continuing to ask and remind us that people actually listen to this, which yeah, is pretty cool. There's at least two. Um, <laughs> but it's and it's exciting to to get back into this and. Um, I'm excited just to get back into normal routines and, and start living like a normal person again. Uh, but we've got some awesome, awesome episodes sort of uh, on the way. A lot of a lot of really cool stuff being lined up. So so we'll make it uh, worth the wait. Um, it won't be so but, long this time. And it was good to. to yeah, no, it, it, it can't be. <laughs> um, and it, it's always good to, to catch up with you again, John. Yeah, absolutely. Glad, glad to be on this again. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, thanks. Thanks, everyone, for, for sticking around and uh, listening to this episode. And we'll see you really soon for another Gone Mobile episode. 